We've been in a series called How It's Done. And the whole thing about this series has been, which part of it was online because we're in week seven, and uh, just really getting back together. But it's how did Jesus live his life? And then we talked about how that the disciples lived life like Jesus, and we're taught to live life here on the earth like Jesus. Now I know for some people that would seem absolutely crazy, but we recognize Jesus did not live here on the earth uh, like uh, God. Somebody might say, yes, he totally uh, lived here on the earth and he was, you know, functioning as God. And so if you will, turn to John 17. I'm going to read a scripture that we haven't read here uh, in this series, but it's pretty interesting because a lot of times people say, well, I can't live like Jesus lived. I can't do the things Jesus did. Um, I would say this in the day and age we're living in, we need to be learning to do life like Jesus did. Absolutely. Everybody awake? Oh, okay, just checking. We need to do life like Jesus. And if we've been taught we can't do life like Jesus because Jesus was God and doing everything as God, then we were mistaken. You with me? We were taught wrong. And we can live life like Jesus did. As a matter of fact, I don't mean to sound bad, but... um, The low part of Jesus' existence, because he's always existed, he was God forever and he always will be, but uh, was here when he was on the earth. People freak out if you hear that. But let's look at John 17 real quick and realize this, Jesus was God, because we've looked at this, but he didn't function as God. He functioned as a man who was tempted, who was anointed by the Spirit. He emptied himself of his Godward privileges and became like us so he could be tempted, so he could show us how to live, how to get answers to prayer, how to live a life of victory. So John 17 verse 4 says this, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me. So he's talking about being here on earth. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. What did he just say? He basically said, I'm here right now. Before I was here, I had this tremendous glory. And now when I go back, glorify me, cause that glory to be back on me like it was before. So that tells us he was saying, I was in in and had this glory before. Now I'm here. Now restore that to me. Now we understand uh, when Paul saw him, Uh, You know, one of the people in the Bible had an experience when he was persecuting the church. He saw him in that glory that he had. And what happened? He got blinded by that glory and that power. Didn't he? And he was struck blind for a while. And we see other things like that where people have had experiences with that glory. Even John, 
when he got the vision of the end time in the book of Revelation and other things, he had walked with Jesus. It never said that he fell down dead except like he was like, ugh. Except when Jesus was transfigured up on that mountain. But when he got that vision, when he saw the Lord, he fell down like he was dead. But he had lived with him all those years. Now he sees him in his glory. What am I saying? Jesus lived this life anointed by the Spirit. He was tempted. He got tired. But what was he doing? He was, became like a man. Fascinating. God choosing to be tempted. What? To show us how to live this life. Paul said it this way, one of the writers in the New Testament, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. Well, if Jesus was only doing things as God, there is no way you and I could imitate him. No way. If he was functioning as God, then we could say, I can't do that. But he got tired, the Bible said. You know, and, and it talks about different things, but the Bible said God never is tired. So with that being said, we can imitate Jesus and it's not beyond reach. As a matter of fact, if we really know how Jesus did things, we might find it's doable. Luke, the fourth chapter, uh, we'll start right here. Well, start talking about how to do it like Jesus in, in this aspect. How did Jesus do it? Can I do what he did? And the answer to that is yes. And he taught his disciples, do it like this. Do it like this. Luke, the fourth chapter. And we're going to see here the beginning of Jesus' ministry and how he did it. And we're going to find out this is how he got tons of miracles. This is how the disciples lived their lives. Luke, the fourth chapter, and the 17th verse says this. This is after Jesus has been anointed by the Spirit. He's never performed a miracle on the earth until he was anointed by the Spirit. Right? It said this first miracle he did. We went into this before. He turned the water into wine. Then it said this second miracle he did. And so, but it was after he was anointed by the Spirit. But now let's look and see how he did life. And you might be surprised that we've been taught through the Bible to do life like this. Jesus was a man of the book. He was a man of the book, of the Scripture. And he not only was a man of the book and not just quoting Scripture, because we know this, Jesus quoted Scripture. He'd quote from all different kinds of Scriptures. He quoted them. He was more than a quoter of Scripture, though. He was a believer in the book. And here's where the rubber meets the road. He acted on the book. He acted on it. Like if God said it, this is it. I don't care how I feel. This is what God said. And he started acting and God backed him up. Notice this, Luke 4, verse 17. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, which we know is in the Old Testament. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. 
Notice he found where it was written, and technically he found what was written about him. Now, the New Testament is written about you, the believer, and what you have, and what you can do. But here it says he found the place that was written about him. So how did Jesus do his earthly ministry? What was the basis for what he did? Did he just do it, or did he act on the word? Notice this. The spirit of, he found this place that was written in Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel or the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty or freedom those who are oppressed or downtrodden or pushed down by life, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of Jubilee or the year you get to go free. So he found this place where it was written, and then it said, then he closed the book in verse 20 and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all were, you know, that were in the synagogue were fixed on him. This is their first encounter with Jesus. You know, in his public ministry there, I mean, and they're all, they're all staring at him. There had to be something about this. And then, as they're looking at him, he begins to expound on the scripture that he has just read. Check out what he said. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is it. This scripture is factual. This scripture is about me and about what I'm going to do. And we haven't even seen one blind eye open. We haven't seen one devil cast out. But he found the scripture and then he began to believe it. And he acted on it like it was true. Many people fail in the Christian walk right here because they know to quote Scripture, but they've never acted on it. They've told the Scripture, but they have never abandoned themselves to the Scripture to where I'm going to act on this regardless, and here we go. Now here is a real interesting thought. Jesus lived the rest of his life and ministry until he was crucified doing all these things he proclaimed that day to be factual. So how did Jesus cast out devils? How did Jesus heal the sick? He acted on the word. As a matter of fact, later on in Matthew 8... When he was acting on the word and people were getting healed, do you know what he said? What they said about it? He said this was done to be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, he took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. He already paid the price. But he hadn't even died yet. Now that's pretty wild. 
And he was acting on it as a man and getting results. Now you understand this. Jesus found the place that was written. Have you ever found a place that was written about you? And then he declared it, but he also absolutely believed it and then acted on it. Right there, actions are what put people over or put people under, so to speak. Remember Jesus told the scripture about the wise man and the foolish man and how the wise man built his house on the rock and the foolish man built his house on the sand? Many times when we hear that story, we hear, and it's in Luke and Luke 6, but, it, but when we hear that story, uh, it's often told that, that the wise man builds his house on Jesus and the foolish man doesn't. That's not what that scripture says. It basically tells you a wise person, go, go read the story, hears the word and then does it. Then he does it. The foolish man hears the word, but doesn't act on the word. Doesn't act like it's true. In other words, they may agree with the truth, but in all reality, if you really want to respect God and re really regard God big time, you have to treat His Word like it's Him. Treat everything else secondary. You have to treat His Word like, man, I respect this. If He said to forgive and love, but I don't forgive and love, I don't respect His Word, I don't respect Him. He and His Word are intertwined. They're inseparable. They, are, they cannot be disconnected. As a matter of fact, when the time comes, we will be judged out of the Word. And so if we want to grow with our walk with God, and you really want to grow in all different areas with Him, you have to act on His Word. Some people say, you know, if I just wish God would just do something for me so I'd know he loved me. But the fact of the matter is, is if we would accept his word humbly, reverently, and go, I'm going to act like it, then that means action would look like this. I'm not going to entertain a bunch of thoughts that would condemn me, that would say he doesn't care. Because I would hear the word, but for me to entertain all those other thoughts would be to say, I'm not esteeming and respecting what God said about me. When he says he loves me, then I have to respect him. You do love me without condition. And you're for me. So Jesus lived this kind of life but, you know, he was endeavoring to get his disciples to live this kind of life. And he wanted them to because he knew this was the path to living close to him and living in the supernatural. Turn to Matthew, the 14th chapter, and a familiar verse of scripture to us, but it really fits here if we're going to walk like Jesus walked. And we have looked at this verse in other cases or in other ways 
concerning this. But notice Matthew 14 and the 24th verse. Jesus has sent the disciples across to go to the other side of this lake. He stuck behind, dispersed the crowd, and he's praying. The middle of the night, they're out in the middle of the sea, struggling to get ahead, and they're not prevailing. Notice verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Verse 27, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, I don't know about you. I've been on boats, but I've never seen anybody walking on the water. And uh, if I saw somebody in the middle of the night walking on the water, I'd be thinking, okay, this, no matter what you think, you know, because sometimes people go, oh, I wouldn't be bothered by somebody walking on the sea. I'd be like, whatever. You know, you ever hear those people? When I was a youth pastor, we were at this one camp. We said, we, we did this thing because we had kids that would go out late at night and sneak out, you know, when you have 300 kids there or whatever. And so we said, listen, if everybody plays it cool on this trip, we're going to take groups out and look for bears. So we told them, because they would come to the trash cans. We'd tell them, we're going to go out, but we'll go out into the forest. And, and, but we, we're, we're cool. You know, we, we probably won't see them because you guys will all be loud. They'll run off. And then you get the kids. I'll tell you what, man, if there's a bear, I'd just punch them right in the face. <laughs> and they're telling all this, you know, you get, uh, this is what I do. This is what I'm going to do. So we'd take them out. Well, we didn't tell them, obviously, because this was something we were enjoying as youth workers. We had a guy in a gorilla suit hidden in the forest who was going to come out like a bear, and we'd take a group of 30 at a time or 20, and we told them, just fall down, act dead. Some kids would fall down. The other ones would run them over. Those guys that were going to punch this bear, they're running faster than anybody. Serious, they come out, you know, it's a gr if you just stop for a second, they weren't stopping, they are running. You know, they're acting like, yeah, no problem. Yeah, no, they were running. We had a group of girls run all the way back to their cabin and crowd in a bathroom stall and break the toilet off of its mounts. And we're telling them, it's a joke, it's a joke, it's a bear. No, it's a bear. And they're telling other don't go out there, there's a bear. No, it was a, a person in a gorilla suit. But think about it. You know, there's people who would say, oh, well, if I saw Jesus like that, it'd be no big deal. I think people might be thinking, whoa. Notice verse 27, he said, do not be afraid. It's me. And then verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water. Now, here's an interesting thought. The disciples have been with Jesus. 
they have heard him teach on the power of the Word of God and how you can trust the Word of God and how you need to act on the Word of God. They've been being taught this. They have seen Jesus do this. They, they know the Scriptures. They're taught. They're, they're, they're taught to respect. So what does Peter do right away? You're performing a miracle. They have been all invited at times to do things, perform miracles, get involved, act on the Word of God. And uh, Peter's like, I want to do this miracle. Because all the miracles that they're doing, or he's done, he's got them involved in doing them. And what would he tell them to do? Like the loaves and the fish. Remember, it wasn't just him. He prayed and blessed. But remember what he did? He gave commands, gave instructions, and said the only people get to do this and experience this and eat are the ones who obey your command and sit down and do what I tell them to do. They had to. So that meant if people were like, well, I'll just kick back. I'll be standing over by the street. They didn't get to eat because they didn't act. And the disciples knew, listen, you do it this way. I mean, they saw a blind guy one time. When Jesus spits in the mud, puts mud on his eyes. He said, go wash here and you will see. They knew the power of God's word. And they knew Jesus only spoke God's words. So they knew if they could get him to speak, they could act on it and get results. So that's where Peter is. He's knowing I can get results in my life if he will tell me something, but I got to act on it. Not just confess it, but confession can be an action of the heart, but he had to act from the heart. And so he got what he was looking for in verse 29. And so he, Jesus, said, come... And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Here is where a lot of people fail. You, you, listen, this is important. Some people won't just act on the word raw. Meaning with nothing else. Some people would... Uh, you know, not act when they pray and believe that it's so before they see it. They would have been like, if they were like Peter, they might have wanted to touch the water and see if it was kind of jello-y. Is it firming up a little as I touch it? Well, it's not going to work that way. You know, what's that called? Uh, oblique? What is, is that stuff you, uh, what is it called? No, oblique or whatever it is, that stuff that you, it's soft liquid until you hit it, it gets hard. Oble? Oble. Yeah, that's what I was talking. I was saying it in a different language. Um, but that, you know, it does not get hard. It's soft if you just push on it until you put pressure. And all of a sudden it hardens. But here's the thing. What if he would have just gone, oh, it wouldn't have worked. He had to act. And he had to act boldly because it was the word before he felt anything. Did I lose you? Before he experienced anything. That means 
He had to act before his emotions were at any place, before conditions changed. He was going to begin to act on what God said. He knew this was how it worked. This is how Jesus had been doing it. He knew if it would work for Jesus, it would work for him. And he sees Jesus doing it. So he said, Jesus, if you give me a word, I'm, I'm on the water. So he said, here's the word, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water. He walked on the water. He walked on the water. He respected what Jesus said. He honored it before he experienced anything. He honored it from his own heart. And he honored it. Now listen to this. He at first honored God's word. And this is important. More than what he saw. And more than what he experienced. He just went, okay, I respect your word. And real faith honors God's word above all things. But he left that. Notice this. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And he began to sink. You notice that. He, right here, is experiencing a miracle because he trusted God's word and he acted on it. Acted on it. You could say this. He quit acting on God's word. The minute he started acknowledging the ability of this wave. But the wave was there the whole time. What happened? What happened was he quit acting on the word. Notice, we'll keep reading. And immediately when he cried out, he said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. So he was close. He had already been doing it for a little bit. And, and he said, and he caught him and he said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now understand this. If you just read that verse, you'll think he had not enough faith. He had little, like if I say, hey, you got some M&Ms you can share? You might say, I've only got a little. Well, we could still share. Just thought I'd throw that in there. But we think of a measurement. But do you know sometimes this word doesn't mean a little amount? When he talks about the sower sows the word, he said in Luke's gospel, he said when storms come, it says they only believe for a little while. Then after that, the storm comes, they give up. So when it says, oh, you of little faith, it had to be that he only believed for a little while. Why? Because Jesus said, why did you doubt? Well, then Peter could answer and say, because I only had a little bit of faith. Of course, you know that. You just said, I only have a little bit. But he did not say it like that. He said, 
O you of little faith, or why didn't you keep using your faith? Why did you only use it for a little while and quit? Why did you doubt? In other words, when he started focusing on all the problems is where he stopped his faith. He quit acting. Everybody alive? He quit acting. And so Jesus did not say this. He didn't say, you should have listened to more sermons. The answer was already there. You could have kept going and not been moved by the storm. Let's close right here in Romans, the third chapter. So what is the remedy there? No matter what comes at you, respect God's Word above what you see. Regard His Word as greater. Regard His Word as true. And act on it like it is true. Realize you do have more power. God is bigger in you than anything you're facing or will face or have faced or that we will face. I mean, the world, I mean, you turn on the news this morning. I saw this thing on, online that somebody posted of a lady standing out in the neighborhood, like in her driveway, staring down the street. And it said, I thought I'd go out and look today and see what chapter of the book of Revelation we were in. Because, I mean, you know, we've got rioting, we've got plague or pandemic, and we've got all these things happening that the Bible said would come. But is that how we're supposed to approach life? No, we'll get just as afraid and get just as fearful as the rest of the world if we start observing with respect what's happening on the earth instead of regarding what God said with respect. And then we can approach it without one bit of fear. And if fear tries to come, realize, uh, wait a minute, this isn't how you do this. I'm focusing on the wrong thing. I don't, I don't need to do that. God's bigger in me. You with me? He's bigger in me. Romans 3, verse 3, says this. For what if some did not believe? What if Peter didn't believe right there? Does this mean that, that you can't believe and I can't believe? He said, what if some, or what if you look around and see some people who maybe read the Bible but don't act on it? What if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without Notice this word. Man, it, it's, a, it's a good one. Effect. Effect. If somebody out there, like Peter, starts doing it, and he has God's word effective, then he quit, and then the effect went away. What if you see somebody, and it doesn't work for them, just know it will work for you. Because he said, unbelief makes it ineffective. But, notice, he said, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? In other words, it'll work for you. It'll work for you. It'll work for you. 
And he goes on to say, certainly not. What does he mean, certainly not? In other words, will their unbelief stop the faithfulness of God and make his faithfulness and his ability non-effective? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar or their experience count. When people have failed, or even if you failed in the past in believing, count it as a, a lie. That's not the way it is. That's not the way it needs to be. That's not how it has to turn out this time. You with me? Certainly not. Let every man be a liar as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged or when stuff comes against you. Amen? We can act on his word. And you know what? God will be faithful to perform his word no matter what it is to you. If you will be bold enough to act from your heart and you respect his word more than what you see, that's really how all the miracles or 12 out of the 17 major miracles that happened in Jesus' ministry, not in the crowds, he said, your faith, you did it by acting on the word. We can do the same thing.